Morning, West Park. How was Christmas? Wonderful. Good. Everybody had a good Christmas? Tonight's New Year's Eve. You know that. It's going to be good. I'll be in bed by 830. I'm old. Well, it's good to be with you. I'm only with you for a few more Sundays. And uh, so I want to share with you over these next few weeks some things that I think uh, are important. I hope will be important for you. They're sort of things that I think are important as uh, uh, for us as a people of God and as a church to consider. Uh, and so let me ask you this. Anybody made a New Year's resolution? Have you ever made a New Year's resolution? Anybody? Nod or stick your hand up. Yeah, we've all done that. You know, sometimes I've, you know, sometimes I've, fa- I've made New Year's resolutions, failed miserably. And sometimes I've made a New Year's resolution and I've kept it well into the afternoon uh, of January 1st. And, uh, but, but I don't want you to make a New Year's resolution today. But I do want you to have a New Year's consideration. I want you to consider something. And so today in these next few weeks, I want to speak to you about things that are uh, significant in my own spiritual journey, my own heart, and that I hope the Lord will uh, bless you with. Uh, you know, there's two things that we're entrusted with as Christ followers that uh, are far above everything else we're entrusted with. Well, the one thing I think will be quite obvious to us, we're entrusted with the message of Christ, the message of the gospel, the euangelion. And that's the message within us, right? And so we're entrusted with that because that message is internal. The message is, is eternal. The message of Christ is eternal. And we're entrusted with that message that Christ does, in fact, save. The second thing that we're entrusted with is not just the message within us, but we're entrusted with the people around us, the people who our lives intersect with. And that's profoundly important, uh, what we do with those. Both of those entities are eternal. The message of Christ and the human person are both eternal. Of course, the body fades and passes, but the soul is an eternal reality. So this morning I want to talk about sharing ourselves with each other. And that title comes from the book of 1 Thessalonians, Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica. And I'm going to read this to you from the message, which is a paraphrase of the scripture by a gentleman who's with the Lord now named Eugene Peterson. And uh, so let me read this to you from uh, his uh, paraphrase because it's kind of tactile, it has... Uh, It's quite accessible. So here's what he writes in regards to his relationship and their ministry amongst the people at the church at Thessalonica. He writes this, We weren't aloof with you. We took you just as you were. We were never patronizing. We were never condescending. But we cared for you the way a mother cares for her children. We loved you dearly. Not content to just pass on the message, we wanted to give you our hearts, and we did. And today I want to talk about that reality, about investing, infusing our life into another, and investing in those around us. And this is profoundly important, because if West Park wants to have a greater kingdom influence out there, you need to put down deeper spiritual pilings in here. Do you know why pastors who are immensely gifted, and we've seen some very disheartening and some sad pictures of this over uh, the last 10 years or so, do you know why pastors who are fantastically gifted get themselves into trouble? Well, one reason they get themselves in trouble is because their gifting carries them farther than their character can sustain them. 
Their gifting will carry them farther than their character can sustain them. And that happens in churches as well. Churches can have influence that's greater than their spiritual depth can sustain, and a church can collapse in on itself. And I really believe that God's going to give West Park a greater spiritual influence in this community. I think he's readying you for that, and a new pastor will be coming here in, in the next short while. And, uh, and so I, I think that he is readying you. And so I want to talk this morning about deepening your spiritual anchor, if you will, and investing your life in those who are around you and come behind you, if you will. So open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Of course, this is a letter, a love letter written to a young man by the name of Timothy by his spiritual father, Paul. Paul has been the influence that has drawn, uh, been used of the Lord to draw Timothy to Christ and become a Christian. And he's really Paul's spiritual son. And he's now serving as a minister in the church at Ephesus. And so Paul writes this letter to him. We're going to turn to the last part of the letter, which is sort of the closing remarks. And uh, I want to focus on a few verses here that tell us something about the person of Paul and why he's allowed to have deep influence in the life of others. And there's some principles here that allow you to have deep influence, kingdom influence, Christ-centered influence in the lives of others if you follow them. So hear the word of the Lord. We're going to begin reading at verse number 9 of 2 Timothy chapter 4. Here's what Paul writes to Timothy. Verse 9, do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. Uh, verse 13, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Verse 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed, and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So these are the final words of the final words that Paul writes to Timothy that we have here. And, and this section is so wonderfully important. It's kind of the end of a letter. You can kind of skip over it, kind of roll over it and not spend a lot of time on it. But it'll tell you uh, deeply about Paul and Timothy's relationship and this capacity Paul has and we get some principles here. So I want to give you some principles that will help you as you influence your life. Listen, you are going to find these helpful if you're here this morning and you're a parent or a grandparent. Guarantee you. These will be helpful in the relationship with your kids. So let me give them to you. How do I enrich others' lives? How, how do I come alongside and bless others? Look first at verse number nine. Here's the first priority, and this is this is profoundly important. If you don't do this, everything else is going to be a bit secondary. Verse number nine. Here's the principle. I will make myself 
purposefully present, I'll make that a priority. I will be purposely present. That'll be a priority. Paul knows that if you want to shape a person's life, you've got to be present with them. Depth of relationship is always a product in part of time spent. Time spent. Purposefully present. You see, I've used alliteration there because preachers get paid based on every word they alliterate. But I'm talking about being purposely present. Now, I want to show you what this means, what that looks like. Digitally, digitally, because that's how we're present with a lot of people. Who here's got fast thumbs? I got sausage fingers, so I'm terrible on the keyboard. Digitally, I can read your data. That's as good as I can do, really. Now, on the phone, we used to, you know, we used to call people on the phone way back in the dark ages. You might be able to sense a tone. You can hear, right? Oh, okay. But only in a person's presence can you hear their heart. Because it's a collective experience of the human person. It's the way they look, the way they interact with you, the way they respond, their demeanor, their countenance, their body language, the tone of their voice, their inflection of their voice. Let me show you a chart, very interesting chart. I want to show you this, okay? This chart is representative of a massive study that was completed in 2017. I don't think it's been updated. It was done by New York University uh, professor Adam Alter. His sociologist, and he used a computer uh, app to do this and also used uh, statistics. But here, I want you to look at this. So we got 2017 and then exactly 10 years later. If you look at that, the dark blue to the far left of the chart, you'll notice there the darkest color, that's sleep in your day. Sleep takes up a part of it, right? Notice it's fairly consistent. The next blue one in the middle, that's basically people's work and their commute. So, you know, the work day and getting to work, some of you commute longer than others. So that's part of it. The lighter blue, the next one is what he calls survival. So that's eating and, and, uh, and uh, having a shower and all of the things of looking after your human body and all of that. And then the last section there, which is the uh, red and the white to the right of that, that's called personal. Now, I want you to notice something. You will see that the red box there represents a part of a person's personal time. You can see that it's basically doubled in 10 years. What do you think the red represents? Anybody want to guess? in people's personal time. Time in front of a screen. So that little white bar at the bottom of 2017, and I'd like to suggest this has not likely gotten better. That little white bar is where humanity takes place. That's sitting and having a cup of coffee and interacting and, and sharing our dreams and our, and our fears and our, and our mountaintops and our valleys. And I know all too well, you know, p- people come and they hear guys like me preach and, you know, you know you're kind and you're nice and you, some of you come and thank me. Here's what I know. I've been doing this a long time. I can tell you assuredly that the deepest, most significant spiritual uh, Things that have happened in my life have not happened listening to a sermon. It's sitting across a table with a cup of coffee where some man who's investing in me has had the courage to say something that was corrective or kind or encouraging or clarifying. 
And you will notice in the life of the Lord Jesus, he spoke to the crowds early in his ministry. But if you read the Gospels carefully, you will see that in the early part of his ministry, he ministered to the crowds. And as his ministry moved on, as it got towards the end of his earthly ministry, he moved from the crowds to the core and he invested in those 12 guys. And he went deep with those guys and he began to extract himself from the masses. But this is where we're at today. This is where we're at. And and Jesus, you know, he said in John 15, he said, hey guys, don't forget, I have called you friends. Now, why could Jesus say that and that be truth? Because friends, how many of you have Facebook friends? I've got Facebook friends, I don't even know who they are. You might be one of them. (laughs) Come and introduce yourself. Right? I mean, I get these friend requests, you know, and I'm like, oh my goodness, it's probably somebody at West Park. I better, you know. Well, who's a friend? A friend is a person that you say, hey, are you friends with so-and-so? Yeah. You'll know what uh, makes their heart beat faster. You'll know what they cheer about. You'll know what they weep over. You'll know what they invest their time and their life in. If you can't answer those questions, they are not a friend. Jesus says, I call you my friends because I know you. Jesus has made purposeful presence a priority in the life. And if we're going to influence others' lives, we must do that. In fact, at the beginning of 1 Timothy chapter 1, you know what he says to Timothy? Timothy, I remember your tears. That's how deeply he knows Timothy. And you know what he says to him? I don't know if you noticed that. He says, come to me, not come here, come to me, Timothy. I want to be with you. Anybody eat Chick-fil-A? You got a Chick-fil-A here now. You know, it's up the road here. I'm here for a meeting a couple weeks ago. Your your elders, man, they talk a long time. Oh, my. So I'm thinking, hey, Chick-fil-A is up. See, I don't have a Chick-fil-A in Cambridge. I decided to go to Chick-fil-A down the road here. And Chick-fil-A closes at 10 o'clock. I'm thinking, I can get a Chick-fil-A. Nobody will be there at 10 o'clock. So I race down there. Everybody's buying a chicken sandwich at 10 o'clock. The lineup's like 50 cars long. What are you people doing in London? Anyway, how did I get into that? Chick-fil-A was started by a wonderful Christian man named Truett Cathy. Truett Cathy, I ministered in the church that he attended his whole life, which is a church just south of Atlanta, he taught grade five boys Sunday school for 38 years. This guy, multi-millionaire, owns this massive, teaches, because he wanted to be purposely present in the lives of these young men. Here's what he said. This, listen to this quote from Truett. He's with the Lord now. If you wish to enrich days, plant flowers. If you wish to enrich years, plant trees. But if you wish to enrich eternity, plant ideals in the lives of others. And you cannot do that apart from making your purposeful presence a priority. Uh, You know, I meet people all the time. I'm in different churches all the time. I've been in churches all over the place. And I meet people and I talk to them and and they share with me that, you know, they've been following Jesus a long time, but... You know, I, I, I come, I listen to sermons and everything, but you know what, I just, I just, you know, it's not real to me. It, I haven't, you know what that is? That's auditing the Christian life. You know what auditing is? You go, to, you, know, you go over to Western University, you audit a course. You just go in and you listen. 
But you don't have to do any of the homework. You don't have to do any of the heavy lifting. You don't have to do research or write papers or think deeply. You simply go and you just show up. And some people, they do that for decades in the Christian life. And I think the reason why is because at the beginning, they decided to audit because they didn't have a tutor. They didn't have somebody that said, I'll come alongside you and I'll invest in you and I'll encourage you, I'll lovingly correct you. They didn't have a Paul when they were a Timothy. If you do not make purposeful presence a priority, you will not be able to have relationships of influence. The second thing I want you to notice, look at verse 10. Paul writes, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. The second thing, if you're going to have influence in people, profoundly important, is not to allow yourself to be disillusioned by disappointments. Because people will disappoint you. In fact, even desert you, Paul says. Sometimes you invest a lot in somebody, right? You journey with them. You're in through the thick and thin. And, and all of a sudden, they, they don't even hardly say thank you. And they kind of drift away. I journeyed with a young guy who was starting a, a church down close to where I live. He was an American. He came and he was struggling, and I invested a bunch of time in him, and all of a sudden, he sent me an email. He said, I'm moving back to the States. He was gone. A few years after that, he sent me an email, and he said, you know, the Lord's kind of convicted me. You spent a lot of time and energy in me. I hadn't even really thought about it. It hadn't bothered me. Another time, my wife Cheryl and I, we, we met a young guy, and he was struggling. He was from a very... Uh, hurting, broken, dysfunctional home, and he was struggling. He never had any money, and we kind of took a shining to him, and I said, I think we should put a bedroom. We had a basement that was unfinished, and so we built a bedroom and built a bathroom in our basement so that he could uh, stay with us, and so we did that, and, and we said, we'll take you in. We'll charge you very low rent, and uh, he was really excited. I said, there's you know, half a dozen house rules that I want you to follow. Can you do that? Oh, yeah, no problem. He moved in, and uh, no sooner had he moved in the first week, he said, you know, I really need to find a job. And I said, okay. And he said, but I need a cell phone to have a job. And I said, okay. And he said, but I don't have any credit. And I said, okay. So I took him down to the cell phone man, and we got him a nice cell phone, you know, and off he went. And he stayed with us for six months, and he paid us one month's rent. And he didn't keep the rules. And we had to have some really hard, tough conversations about the house rules. And uh, finally, he said, I'm moving out. And here's your cell phone back. So then I had to go back to cell phone, man. You know, cell phone, if you only keep it six months, you get dinged. So I got dinged on the cell phone. And you know what? Off he went. And you know what? I, I was disappointed. And I allowed that disappointment, which is really situational, to turn into disillusionment. And I started to get bitter and angry about that. And I was really annoyed. And, and that, that bitterness <clears throat> turned into this disillusion. And then, you know what I began to say to myself? Well, I'll never what? I'll never do that again. And I, one day I said, Lord, I don't like this. What in the world? I, I, I can't let this poison me. And I took it to the Lord and I said, Lord, you know, this is not a good thing. This is ungodly. Uh, you know, God, forgive me for this and help me to release this. And God did. He helped me be cleansed of that. And, and if you're going to invest your life in others, you cannot allow Satan to disillusion you when you are disappointed or maybe even deserted. And listen carefully. If, if you're going to influence people, and if you are carrying baggage today from past disappointments, you need to rid yourself of that baggage. 
because that will impede your investment. You'll always be a little bit guarded. There'll be a little, little hint of cynicism and caution. You need to give that over to God. The next thing I want you to notice is this. Look at the, look at the verse there, the second part of verse 11. Paul says to Timothy, hey, when you come, <clears throat> get Mark. Swing around, go around to Mark's house, grab Mark, bring Mark with you. Mark's useful to me for ministry. Mark, bring Mark. Now, that's an amazing statement. 20 years before that, John Mark went with Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary tour. First missionary trip. No sooner had they left that John Mark says, yeah, I don't think I want to do this. I want to go back. Paul said, are you kidding me? We just got on the cruise ship. You want to go? And, and John Mark goes back. The next missionary journey, Barnabas says, okay, we'll take John Mark. And Paul says, no, 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 hold on, time out. He's not coming. Barnabas says, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. No, no, he's not coming. Barnabas says, oh, come on. No, I'm telling you, he's not coming. It gets so heated that Paul and Barnabas separate ways. They, they, they don't travel together. So Paul, he travels off with Silas, and Barnabas, he travels off with John Mark, and they have a major falling out. But 20 years later, Paul says, hey, Timothy, bring Mark with you. When you come bring Mark, he's a good guy. What does that tell us? It tells if you want to influence people, you'll be a constant source of second chances. Let me say that again. You will be a constant source of second chances. 20 years after this major meltdown, Paul says, you know what? I got to give this guy a second chance, man. Why do we give second chances? Because God never changes, and Jesus is the great second chance. Amen? He's the great second chance. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, and that's present tense over and over, we're always confessing our sins, we're keeping short of counsel of God. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Second chance. Jesus is the constant second chance. But then secondly, not only because Jesus is a great second chance, the second reason why we give second chances is because people do change. People do change. You know, once in a while, I'll be out at a restaurant, you know, or at a store, and I'll see somebody from high school that I haven't seen in years. And they'll come up to me and say, are you Steve Adams? I'll go, yeah. Hey, I, I, man, how you doing? Great. It's good to see you. Yeah. Hey, I want to tell you something funny. Somebody told me you're a minister. <laughs> so, I, mean, this, I heard that somebody said you're a minister. And I'll go, yeah, I am. What? Because I was in high school, man. That wasn't on the brain. I'll tell you what. But God was so kind and so good. And, and he does change us. Aren't we glad about that? That's why Paul could write 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if you are in Christ, you are a what? A new creation. You're being made new. Paul knew something about second chances because he'd been given a massive one. He went from a killer of Christ's followers to a being a devout Christ follower. Let me say this. If you're held prisoner by your own train wrecks, missteps, busted up relationships, things that you've got, if you're held hostage by that, you will hold others hostage to theirs. 
It's counterintuitive, but it's true. You are a product of your past, but you're not a prisoner to it. You're not a prisoner to it. That's Paul to the folks at Corinth. You're a new creation. You're being made anew. Uh, Let me illustrate this to you. How many drove here or rode in a car here? Just about everybody. Maybe some came on a bus or some other way. If you're driving your car, you got two pieces of glass in front of you. What are they? There's a big one called the, the windshield, and there's a small one called the rearview mirror, right? The rearview mirror is very small, and every once in a while you look in it, you're basically looking at where you've been and what's going on behind you. The big one is the one you look out all the time because that's your future. That's where you're going. Now, if you spend a lot of time looking in the rearview mirror, you know what ends up happening? You ruin your future because you smash into the guy in front of you. A lot of people do that. They they spend all their time looking into the pains and brokenness and dysfunction and hurt of the past. God says, no, no, you're a new creation. Look through the window. Look forward. Look forward to what's in front of you. Don't ruin the future with your past. You may be here this morning, you're saying, you know what, I, I could use a second chance. And I got some major, major thing in my life where I have messed up. Major messed up. I got good news for you. Jesus is a second chance. The world won't give you a second chance. Jesus will give you a second chance. He'll give you a second chance today. Next, look down at uh, verse 13, if you will. Paul says, Timothy, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. Now, many of you may know this. Paul's in prison. It's not a very nice place. Here's the... Here's the principle here. It's easy to miss. If you're going to have influence in other people's lives, you need to enrich others by allowing them to bless you. Enrich others by allowing them to bless you. We sometimes think if we're going to influence somebody, then we've got to do everything for them, give everything to them. You know, we're, we're just sort of, you know, it's a No, no, no. If you want to really bless somebody, you'll allow them to bless you. When you do that, it removes any stature. It removes hierarchy. It says to them, I value you and what you bring to the equation. And if you want to see a beautiful picture of that in real Uh, vivid color, you would turn to the Gospel of John chapter 4 because Jesus shows up at a well. And he's there at the well and a lady comes to the well, a Samaritan woman. Many of you know the story. I was going to say you know the story well, but that's, you know, it'd be a bit. (laughs) You know the story. This woman comes. The guy who's sitting there, not only did he invent wells, he invented water. If he wants to, he can go like this and he can get one of those buckets from Dollarama, which are a dollar and a half now. Seems wrong. But he says to this woman, does anybody know what he says? Excuse me, ma'am. Would you be able to give me a drink? Who, me? And she says, I, I know you're a Jew and Jews don't talk to Samaritans and I'm a woman, you shouldn't be talking to me, but you want me to help? He says, yeah. It's so beautiful. And it begins a relationship which changes the eternal destination of this woman and her village. Because Jesus says, you can bless me even though I'm God. Isn't that amazing? 
So if you want to have influence in other people's lives, do that. Ascribe value to them by allowing them to bless you in whatever way that they can, in any way that they, they're able. Look down to the second part of verse 13. He says, not only bring the cloak, but also the books and above all the parchments. Why is that? Because Paul, even in the final lap of his earthly life, knows he wants, must keep his spiritual tank full. If you want to impact others, you have to keep your spiritual tank full. Uh, Paul's in prison. His life's virtually complete, his earthly life. Uh, He has written, at this point, he's already written what will be chiseled in his headstone, I expect, because lots of times it is. It's a few verses back in chapter 4. I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. But Paul, you know what he decides to do? You know, I'm still following Jesus, but I'm not coasting. You know what I've noticed? I've noticed when people begin to spiritually coast, how many of them crash. You take your foot off the spiritual gas pedal and you get a little lackadaisical about your faith and, you know, just your heart cools to the things of the Lord. Yeah, I'm just coasting. So many people, when they do that, they're coasting and then they end up crashing. And if you're going to influence others in the final analysis, you've got to keep your spiritual tank full. Satan comes after you. If your spiritual tank's full, you, you are a mighty fortress. Look at verse 14. Look at verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. I've taken people to this verse a lot in marriage counseling. In marriage counseling? Yeah, do you know why? Because verse 14 shows us this. Very important thing to learn. It shows us that forgiveness is free, but trust is earned. Let me say that again. Forgiveness is free. It's always free, but trust is earned. Lots of times in a marriage, sadly, it's usually the husband does some dumb thing. And then I get a couple before me with a marriage that's on the rocks, and they, they, you know, he says, well, you know, she doesn't forgive me. I say, yeah, she forgives you. She just doesn't trust you. Forgiveness is free, trust is earned. That's what Paul says. He he, he holds no sour grapes. He doesn't want ill will of Alexander. In fact, he says, may it not be charged against him, but he says, be careful, be cautious. But look what he says at the end of the verse there. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May Alexander and all the rest of them, may none of it be held against them. I'm not holding opposition. I'm not holding hard feelings. I don't want ill will. Here's what he's saying. I will model grace in my life. And if you're going to influence others, you're going to take some hand grenades over the wall and you must model grace. What is grace? It's the divine activity that enables God to confront human indifference and human rebellion. And in so doing that, he does it with this inexhaustible capacity to forgive and to bless. That's grace. And you must model that. Forgive and bless. Modeling grace. If you're a baseball fan, you may know the name Tug McGraw. One of the finest baseball pitchers of his day. 
won two World Series with the New York Mets. He was probably the best closer the Phillies ever had. After he finished baseball, he went on to become an announcer, a game announcer. But in 2003, his health took a very sudden change. And by the time they figured out what it was, Tug was told at just 59 years of age, you, sir, have three weeks to live. You have a massive brain tumor. He actually lived nine months. Went from three weeks to nine months. And he decided to invest his life in helping others to see if he could contribute in some way to the cure for brain cancer. But he did another part that was much less publicized. He invested in his family and especially in a son that he had neglected his entire life because he had one son that he had ignored who was from an early relationship that he had. He had reached out to this boy as a teenager years before, but there was no connect. Interesting, this boy, his mother, Elizabeth, said to this, uh, never told this young boy who his famous father was. She wanted to forget that part of her, her life and didn't want to bring it up. One day, this young boy named Tim, he, he found his birth certificate as a teenager and he realized, shockingly, that his father was his favorite baseball player. And so, with that revelation, young Tim, whose name was Tim Trimble, changed his name to Tim McGraw. And when Tug McGraw got so sick, he reached out to Tim, and God knit their hearts together. And in fact, Tug died in a hospital bed in the living room of Tim's house in Nashville. And through that experience, if you're a country music fan, you'll know that Tim wrote a song called Live Like You Were Dying. Anybody know that song? Stayed on top of the country charts for 10 weeks. It broke a record of, that had been in standing for 30 years. Tim wrote, and I loved deeper, and I spoke sweeter, and I gave forgiveness that I'd been denying. And he said, someday I hope you get the chance to live like you are dying. See, if you're going to influence others, you got to model grace. you got to model grace. An inexhaustible capacity to forgive and to bless. And you know what? I think you can only do that with God's help. I think it's really hard. But God will help you do that. Verse 17 and 18, and we'll be done. 17 and 18. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, Timothy, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed. Look at verse 18. The Lord will rescue. He'll rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. The last thing is, if you want to influence others, you will have to overflow with the sufficiency of Christ for everything and for everyone that he brings your way. Paul's staring death in the face, but Christ is sufficient. Listen, parents. Listen carefully, parents. If Christ is not all-sufficient for you as a parent, he will never be all-sufficient for your children. 
If it's Jesus, plus we've got to have this and that and everything else. If Christ is the one that allows you to meet, face on everything that life brings your way, your kids will see that, and it'll have a profound impact on them. Let me recap. If you want to influence others, you've got to make purposeful presence a priority. You can't get disillusioned by the disappointments that come, and they will come. You've you got to be a source of second chances. You have to value others by allowing them to bless you. You've got to keep your spiritual tank full. You've got to model grace. And you've got to overflow with the sufficiency of Christ. I told you a week or two ago, I, I don't really like lists and I don't like lists. But maybe one of those is a place in your life where you need to take inventory because that's hindering your capacity to influence others. Now, here's the New Year's consideration, and I'm done. It's called the 111 consideration. Here's what I'd like you to think about, okay? Now, <clears throat> Some of you are going to be Paul's and some of you are going to be Timothy's. In other words, some of you are going to infuse and bless and pour your life into another. Some of you are going to be Timothy's and you're going to be on the receiving end and you're going to be blessed. Now, I want you to know this. Whenever I've got into a relationship like that and I've had Paul's in my life and I've had Timothy's in my life, I've been blessed in both roles immensely. Okay? So here's the challenge. I want you to think about one person over the next year, 2024. One person. Maybe you're here and you say, I need somebody, a Timothy in my life. There's a man or a woman that I've admired or, uh, and I, maybe they would spend time with me and just help me on the journey. One hour, that's the second one. And you don't have to create new time, right? Uh, everybody here eats a meal, probably at least one every day. Say, hey, let's meet for breakfast. Let's meet for lunch. We'll just hang out for an hour. We'll just chat, see how you're doing. I'll, you know, encourage, bless. Tell you about, you know, what's going on. And then once a week or once every two weeks. I'm talking here about consistency. So you're going to be deliberate about it. One, one, one. Listen carefully. If you do that here at West Park, a year from now, this church will be a deeper church spiritually. You'll be a stronger church relationally. And I think the Lord will see great joy in that. Amen? Bow your heads, if you will, with me. Here's what I'd like us to do. If you will give that consideration that you're either going to have somebody pour into your life and you're going to go ask somebody. And listen, folks, if you get asked, step up. Say, yeah, I'll do that. Take it as from the Lord. Or, or maybe you're going to be on the Paul side of things and you're going to say, hey, I know somebody I'd like to invest in, I want to journey with. If you will give that consideration with your heads bowed, slip your hand up because I want to pray for you. Slip your hand up if you will give that consideration this year ahead, Okay. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Many hands are up. Let me pray for you because Satan will try and discourage you and distract you from doing this because it's so profoundly important. It's the Jesus model of discipleship. Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you for men and women, not just in the pages of Scripture, but through church history and even in the history of this church here at West Park who have invested their lives in others who've shared themselves with others in significant, sacrificial, persistent and consistent ways. And so, Father, for those here that have knowledge, they're going to really seriously consider this. Maybe they're going to make a commitment today to do this. 
Would you protect them and encourage them to follow through on this? If there's some Timothys here, would you give them the courage to seek out a man or a woman and say, hey, you know what, I've, just, I've noticed you and I just, I, I just am looking for somebody who'll just journey with me, who doesn't have all the answers but will certainly ask me some really good questions. Father God, would you give those the courage to ask for that kind of investment? Father, would you be well pleased with us in the days ahead and in the year ahead? Bless this church, protect this church. May you be glorified in this church. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.